0: Hello, I'm Jim Ford, and I'm Dan Kersky, and this is The Lantern Cast.
1: Episode number
0: one. Wow, we actually made it to episode one.
1: Finally. Somebody out there probably just lost a bet.
0: <laughs> yes, not to make too many disappointed fans, but we decided to do an episode one instead of a episode three quarters.
1: Shocks. Although, if you are new to Green Lantern, or you are just now coming back after not reading for a while, we recommend you go back and listen to our episode one-half, just to get you caught up to speed.
0: And if you want to know about us as Green Lantern fans, you can go back to episode zero.
1: Who wouldn't want to know?
0: (laughs) We are... Certified Lanternologists.
1: That, that's the only doctorate that will let you actually perform surgery out of your home. Cosmic
0: surgery. So this week's episode, we decided that we're going to do a big discussion of the secret origin story that was running through which issues, Dan?
1: That is issues 29 through 35 of the current Green Lantern series. It is seven chapters long updating slash retelling of the origin of Hal Jordan. And there will be spoilers. Lots of spoilers.
0: We're basically going to break these issues down completely. Do you think we'll actually spoil anything outside of Secret Origin?
1: Um, I don't think so. I mean, this story does contain, like, some amount of buildup for things to come, but we really haven't... Like, this is the most recent Green Lantern we've read, basically so it's not like we can confirm or deny anything that's coming down the road after this.
0: But will we spoil anything that came before it? Um. Possibly?
1: i would say possibly.
0: Okay, so possibly spoilers <laughs> for things that came before this. Nice. <laughs> It'll be entertaining no matter what.
1: We're going to say focus pretty much on the contents of these issues.
0: To start off, I'm going to give a recap of issue one. Then we're going to discuss it, and then Dan is going to do issue two. We'll discuss that, and we'll keep on alternating back and forth. So, issue one, it starts out with Green Lantern, which is actually the last time you see Green Lantern in his Green Lantern costume. Right after that, we have a very young Hal Jordan watching his father fly a jet. Hal is holding his father's jacket, and all of a sudden he sees... His father's plane crashed down. This leads Hal to want to do nothing but fly like his father. So on his 18th birthday, he joins up with the Air Force. While he's in the Air Force, he ends up destroying a jet to see how far it can actually be pushed. This will later show how he's kind of a daredevil and reckless and everything like that. Then he later gets himself kicked out of the Air Force because he wants to go see his dying mother who won't see him as long as he's in the Air Force. But he gets himself kicked out for nothing because by the time he gets to the hospital it's too late and the mother's already passed away. And then the issue closes with Abin Sir who is Hal Jordan's predecessor on the planet Ysmall trying to get answers about the Blackest Night from two characters that are on the planet, Quill and Atrocitus. Uh, we'll go into Blackest Night later on.
1: I gotta say, I'm not the biggest Hal Jordan fan out there, but this is the kind of thing I like to see, because this whole issue was essentially about Hal Jordan and the way he interacts and relates with the people immediately around
0: him. A character piece, you're saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, I was almost disappointed to see the last page be a sci-fi superhero page. I wanted more of Hal as a guy, you know?
0: Yeah. Actually, I was taking notice of that, how if you look at it, the entire issue is just Hal Jordan as a guy. But the very first page and the very last pages are... Green Lanterns. It's it's almost like they said, "Okay, well this is a Green Lantern book, so you have to have a Green Lantern in it at some point." So they just kind of, you know, threw those in. You didn't actually need Hal Jordan as Green Lantern on the first page, but it is a nice introduction for somebody who has no idea what Green Lantern is. It's a good way to pull them in right off the bat.
1: Yeah, it it frames the issue pretty well in that way, too. Right. And actually, I probably won't remember this later, but I was expecting the final chapter of this story to end with, like, flashing back to the present and Hal's finishing charging his ring, and then he goes off to do whatever it is happens after the story. I was a little surprised it didn't happen. Yeah,
0: now, we don't get that, but we do get another interesting framing-type sequence. Some little points that I picked up on, if you notice on the Armed Forces Career Center building, the number is 2814.
1: The uh, sector in space Earth occupies.
0: Yes, so that's a nice little Easter egg if you noticed it. Another thing I noticed in the bar fight scene... You have John Stewart, who later becomes a Green Lantern also, and he's a Marine, and what's interesting about it is that the insignia that he has on his arm is basically a modified design for the Indigo Lantern symbol, which we saw in issue 25 of Green Lantern.
1: Yeah, do you think we're supposed to infer anything from the fact that it's the Marines with this symbol on them? Because Indigo is compassion.
0: Yeah, actually, I, I think that has a big thing to do because the marines are known for bringing aid to locations that are either flooded or destroyed natural disasters and things like that so that's that's a big symbolism thing there another thing that i picked up on it's like just something that they say in passing but one guy also in the marines is saying to john that he's the best shot in the Corps.
1: Yeah, I was wondering how the whole compassion thing would gel with the fact that they're slowly but surely trying to reinforce that John Stewart is a really good sharpshooter. Actually, this might only be the second mention of it, but the first was in the Sinestro War. He took out the opposing side, Sniper, from like a sector away. Really? Yeah, I remember the, I don't know his name, but he was the dude who was like a giant snail.
0: No, I totally forgot that. I'm, good, I'm gonna have to go back and look now. That's pretty cool.
1: I think it was in um the Sinestro Core special number one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll check that out.
0: One more thing that I picked up on was... And this isn't really any hidden Easter egg or anything like that. It's just something that I thought was interesting. You have the character Quill. Are we calling him Quill or Quill or...?
1: I, I've always said Quill.
0: Yeah, it looks like a Quill. And he has the same look and design from way back when Alan Moore first wrote the uh, story Tigers. But we'll get into that more as we move on with the issues. So you want to uh, take issue two, or do you think we have any other points for issue one?
1: No, we can move to issue two. All right. Uh, we got and Sirs transporting Atrocitus, which is the big monstrous red dude from the last page of part one, to Earth to investigate a prophecy he had told Avan about. Until Atrocitus breaks out, and he causes the ship to crash, leading to the Hal Jordan everybody knows to play at. Hal meets up with Carol Ferris for the first time since they were both children, as she shows up pretty much telling Hal that the airfield you work at, I run it now. She is stepping in for her father to run the family business of testing jets, and such. And Hal Jordan's superhero origin plays out, Hal makes his Green Lantern debut by saving a plane from crashing, which... He made Crash. <laughs> and on the last page, where you meet Hector Hammond, a future classic Green Lantern villain. Currently a regular guy who's just a real jerk.
0: Okay, this one I got a whole bunch of talking points for. Alright. Um, first off, just to clarify the origin for anybody who hasn't heard it before. Abin Sir crashes. He's dying. He's dying the ring finds somebody, the closest person, that is without fear or has the ability to overcome great fear, and that's Hal Jordan, who gets pulled to the crash site, and he's offered the ring, and then wham, bam, he becomes Green Lantern. Okay, so so right off the bat, one of Hal Jordan's classic backup characters goes by the name of Tom Pieface Callum
1: that's one of those names I never even tried to pronounce in my head. Yeah,
0: I'm um, I'm going with Cal Macu. I it might be spelled completely different. I may be just absolutely butchering it, but that's what I'm going for. It works for me. Now, what's interesting is that Pie Face was it's a very very derogatory comment, and they basically just totally retcon that to make it so that it's not as racist
1: they kind of turn it around as showing how dumb the guy who uses it is
0: right because it used to be that pie face was references like if you have a pie and you have like the very thin slits in it that's what tom looked like because of his eyes making fun of his asian descent now they basically updated it so that they're comparing him to an eskimo pie because he's asian like an eskimo
1: yeah but at the same time that they're trying to soften that blow, they make a Polish joke.
0: Yes, yes, that's... It's perfect. It's totally perfect. It's like, well... We're, we're going easier on the guy named Pieface, but let us have a little bit of fun and make a Polish joke anyway.
1: They're giving themselves something to come back to for the next retcon.
0: There you go. Okay, so now we have another new death for Abinzer. This makes, like, what, his uh, fourth or fifth death that they've constantly retconned in, in Green Lantern? Yeah,
1: you know, we have seen, just reading stuff to talk about on the show, Abinzer's death play out, like, three or four completely different ways... Within the last like week, he's he's pretty easy to kill. That's why I take away from him.
0: Yes, he's got the fear infection, and basically because of that, anybody can kill him. Okay, here's here's something that I bet you didn't notice, and this actually plays out for the rest of Secret Origin.
1: You're probably right. <laughs>
0: carol ferris she's constantly walking around in the color violet because in part two she's introduced in a violet dress and then later on in i'm not sure if it's part three or part four or so she's got like a violet top on now in case anybody is not following along carol ferris later on becomes the star sapphire which is powered by the violet color spectrum emotion what am i saying here
1: um, the violet section. <laughs> <laughs> She's the star sapphire is powered by the violet section of the emotional spectrum, which is energy that comes from pure concentrated love, which is not as as frilly or undangerous as it might sound right
0: now playing on the the same basic aspect of the clothes that they wear perhaps leading to some sort of foreshadowing you have hector hammond on the last page and what color shirt is he wearing he's wearing orange he's wearing orange
1: you just want to make fun of the fact that i didn't notice any of his orange stuff until we started to do this
0: i'm just touching on it for this one it, I'll go into it more as we as we progress, but yeah, he's like bathed in orange.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a very DC Comics way of introducing a superhero for the first time. Saving a crashing plane is exactly the way Superman came onto the scene. Too. <laughs>
0: That's a good point.
1: I think continuity-wise, this is supposed to be recently after Superman first showed up.
0: Or slightly before, actually. Who came out first?
1: Just to jump ahead for a second, the final part, there is a panel where if somebody's listening to the radio, they're talking about Green Lantern, and they say, with the recent appearance of Superman in Metropolis, could Coast City have its very own protector? If I thought that means Superman's been around already.
0: Ah, gotcha. I didn't catch that, actually. So good catch. I was due for one. We noticed that Hal's first construct with the ring is these, like, poorly conceived hands that are, like, holding the plane.
1: It feels very instinctive and reactionary. He obviously wasn't. Trying to make giant hands—it just happened. Well,
0: he didn't actually know how to use the ring yet. That was the very first thing he does.
1: Speaking of that, there's on page page 18, right? The panel in the bottom left. I just love the way it shows him getting used to being able to fly without an airplane. Because you can like follow his flight path around. And he's trying to do it, but he's very all over the place and shaky. You can almost see him trying to steady himself with his hands.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I I like that a lot.
0: And then, by the very end, he's flying totally clear, and then we get a sonic boom.
1: Yeah, he just freaking goes for it.
0: I love that sonic boom. Another thing that I noticed was as the costume is being like created over them, they make almost a point to say how the green parts are like fiery hot, but the black part is as cold as ice.
1: I'm reinforcing that idea that uh, it's energy, it's not like regular fabric, which is an interesting change. It's, it's one of those things that it doesn't come up often enough to really matter if I love it or hate it. Right.
0: I just think that them mentioning the, the, that the black was as cold as ice, it's almost like the foreshadowing of the Black Lantern concept of death. I may be reading too much into
1: it? Probably. <laughs> it makes for cool, like, because if you think about the fact that these guys have to survive basically anywhere and everywhere it throws in that much more of an environmental control. I really love the sequence of this echoey voice from the ring as Hal's being dragged through the air to Abin's ship. It's like, imagine if you could say something into a big, empty room, and your voice echoes back at you, except the echo says something different than you originally did.
0: Now, a question. Are both voices Abin, sir, or do you think that the the front voice is Abin, sir, and like, The background voice is the ring talking.
1: I'm not sure, because when, um... On the page right before it, when he originally gets grabbed, you see the little ring dialogue box that says, Jordan, you have been chosen. I assumed that was the ring. But then, as it goes, like, the very next thing it says is, I am Abin, sir. So... Right. I wasn't really sure. I mean, it could definitely read, like, two people you know, quote-unquote people talking over each other.
0: Because, like, I was actually paying attention to, like, what's being said. And you have the first one, I am Abin Sir, Green Lantern of your space sector. And the following little behind that bubble says Space Sector 2814. It's almost like it's giving the background information.
1: Yeah, it's like the ring is providing the the hard facts that relate to what avon says
0: right so maybe it's both of them i am dying and the ring says the brightest day becomes the blackest night to serve as a great honor bestowed upon you by the ring it's just good to know that if you're dying and you are talking to the person who's going to take over for you and you're telling him bits and pieces of information about the ring It's nice to know that you have the ring man to back you up and fill in the other pieces of information that you may forget.
1: Plus, it makes for an awesome story after the fact. Be like, I found this dying guy, and his jewelry wouldn't shut up. (laughs) Shall we go to part three?
0: We shall. Okay, so we have Hal Jordan is in the midst of a huge crowd that's coming around because he just saved the airplane. He heads back to Barry Abin, sir. He recharges his ring for the very first time, and as he does this, He's transported to Oa, the center of the universe where the Guardians set up shop for training Green Lanterns. Hal gets trained by Kilowog, along with a whole bunch of other Green Lantern newbies. Back on Earth, you have Abinsur's ship spotted by Hector Hammond. And at another location, Atrocitus, who bailed out of Abinsur's crashing ship, He's at another location, and he's basically just slaughtering a whole bunch of soldiers that had spotted him. You go back to Oa, and Hal is being trained even more, until Tomar Ray, another Green Lantern, brings him over to the Book of Oa, where they show basically references from the old Alan Moore story Tigers, which we'll talk about in a minute. And Hal eventually finishes his training, and earns his lantern insignia. And then the book ends with Sene Astro being told by the one guardian Ganthet who took a name when most others don't, actually all others don't, and he's told to head to Earth to investigate Abin Sir's death.
1: I love that charge scene towards the beginning where the battery basically just grabs you and doesn't let go until it's done fueling the ring. Right. And, you know, this is usually around where, like, classically a Green Mantra would be reciting their oath. You know, their little inspirational deal to kind of remind them why they do this and all that. <laughs> and Hal, he's taken completely off guard by this, and he's yelling, let go, damn it! And the range is like, incorrect oath. It's like, it's the straight man to him in these little, like, moments of comedy.
0: Okay, so, talking points for this one. When Hal gets to Oa, we realize that basically the entire place is built in yellow.
1: It must get so dirty so easily. <laughs>
0: it could only be it can only be worse if everything was in white later on they'll reference the fact that everything's in yellow in the final part of the series one of the other green lanterns that is training with hal is chip the squirrel green lantern uh i love chip yeah who doesn't love chip
1: chip is the one alien green lantern that whenever i tell people about him, they're like what the hell why is there a talking squirrel why not if they go through with making in this Green Lantern movie, finally. I want Chip in there. I want him to be completely computer-generated and, if possible, voiced by Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito? That would be... Tell me that wouldn't be the funniest thing.
0: Okay, it would be funny, but that's (laughs) totally not how I would picture... His voice. I'd picture something maybe smaller and squeakier or something like that. Like the bully from Pee-wee's Playhouse. Terrence was his name? Yeah. That's old school. Okay, so now something else that we never discussed in previous conversations. The major that's in charge of the spaceship retrieval is major stone which as they reference in the first issue that's the one friend of martin jordan that actually stayed behind in the military oh okay you didn't catch that right oh so you figure that they have to have some kind of follow-up to this whole secret origin thing probably
1: is um was he the one that hal punched out oh was
0: he it was.
1: Yeah, it is him.
0: So, that would probably imply that he's not too happy with Hal Jordan. And then he just found the spaceship that led to Green Lantern. I wonder how that ties in.
1: I don't know, but, um, I don't think we've seen him in a while, but... And this this won't spoil anything, really, but, um... <clears throat> I remember when the current series started up early on, they had this running plot where, um... Hal Jordan, as Green Lantern, had to... I forget why he actually ended up punching out this same general again, or major. <laughs> again? And then after that, it was like, like, Hal showed up for work, and he was like, yeah, I know you're Green Lantern. You punched me out the same way twice. Oh, wow. So I think in the present day, like, he hasn't shown up since way in the beginning of the series. I don't know where he is now.
0: The beginning of which series?
1: The current Hal Jordan series. It was within, like, the first six issues, I think. Oh,
0: gotta check that out
1: now. You no, know, it might even have been the first story arc.
0: Yeah, no, I gotta reread that stuff anyway. Um, one thing that's interesting when all the Green Lanterns are training on Oa, the yellow statues that they're training on—they're the weaponers of Quard.
1: Yeah, with the the antimatter lightning bolts and everything.
0: Right, but that was a nice touch.
1: Mm-hmm. I love this whole training montage page. It's more. Reinforcing of Hal's personality, like, he won't weave around targets, he'll see a problem and try and fly right through it. Confronting it head on. Or when he's trying to overcome the, the yellow weakness by shooting that statue. Yeah. I'll do it, you won't do it, it's just a color! On the page right opposite that, I love the look of the Book of Oa. It's just this, like, gigantic, cosmic, like, it couldn't possibly exist, except if it did. <laughs> I didn't even know what I was trying to say there.
0: It can, exi- it can exist only in a giant space library.
1: Yes. It, it has, like, this this very majestic presence to it. I don't know. I just love this book.
0: And as you brought up, the pictures that we see in the Book of Owa...
1: Yeah, they're actually, like, scans taken directly from pages of a story called Tigers, which you've referenced a few times. It was an Alan Moore story from...
0: Green Lantern Corps Annual Number 2 from 1986.
1: That was the story that detailed the prophecy told to Sur, which is what brought him to Earth to begin with. So which li- I like little notes like that where they just take old art and they transplant it into new work in a way that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's a nice... What's the term? Homage. Homage. It's a nice homage.
1: And it, even though it's two completely different art styles, they don't clash at all just because of the way it was presented.
0: Right. And just to give credit, that's Kevin O'Neill art.
1: I don't think we said this whole story arc is uh, written by Jeff John and drawn by Ivan Reyes. And does it have the same ink right there?
0: It does, actually.
1: That is this title page. Eau Claire... Albert
0: and Reynov Mayer on colors.
1: <laughs> Rosley lettered it.
0: Actually, as long as we're going over the stuff now, I really like the covers of these. These are done by Ivan Reis or Reyes.
1: I say Reyes. It could be Reis.
0: Ivan Reyes and Dave McCraig. Now McC. McKag. Dave McCague.
1: The only thing I'm not a fan of with the covers and it'll I haven't seen it in the actual pages, so I think it's just on the covers. Is that um kind of lens flare kind of effect they put over the rings sometimes. Uh
0: which issue? Like
1: the cover of part one, part four.
0: Oh, you're talking about like the squiggly lines and yeah. basically just the loose green energy. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that either.
1: It's obvious what they're going for. I just don't think it really enhances the image at all. Right. I assume that's the colorist, but I mean, like, that's really the only coloring complaint I have with these covers or really the interior of the book.
0: Right. Yeah, it's actually interesting because that is probably the only not even that it so much detracts, but it doesn't complement it as much as the coloring actually does for the other covers. Like, on part two, you have Carol Ferris right there on the cover, yeah. and it almost looks, like, animated. It's, it's really, really cool looking.
1: As an effect, it, it's very much a computer effect sitting on top of the art, as opposed to part of the art. You know? Yes. And I'm not trying to badmouth the colors or anything. It's just that one specific thing. That doesn't really work for me. Everything else is really good.
0: You know, I'm actually looking at the covers now, and they all kind of have this similar design in that they have like a main character and then like a secondary type character kind of faded in the background like for part one you have abin sir in the background and hal jordan in the foreground in part two you have hal jordan in the background and green lantern and carol ferris in the foreground in part
1: three has hal in the foreground and like other Green Lanterns and Guardians in the background.
0: But a big giant picture of Kilowog in the background. In 4 you have Sinestro in the foreground and you kind of have like Hal Jordan and his smashed up plane in the background. Part 5, you kind of get away from that, you have Hal Jordan and Sinestro, they're both kind of in the foreground. Although I guess you could say that Sinestro is slightly in the background. Let's see. Part six, you have Hal Jordan, Sinestro, and Atrocitus with Atrocitus in the background. And part seven, you have a Guardian like front and center on the main page. And you have in his eyes, you can see the faded images of Hal Jordan in one eye and Sinestro in the other eye.
1: And talking about foreshadowing. Right. Just as like a show of power kind of thing, there's energy rising up and down from the Guardian's eyes. Yes. And the only energy trail that has the Green Lantern emblem leaking out of it like they do now is the one that has Hal's reflection in it. Oh. Stroh's doesn't, and we know he eventually gets kicked out of the core.
0: That's a good catch. I guess the only other thing that I wanted to mention from issue three is that Atrocitus actually makes mention that he's from Sector 666. That'll come up again later.
1: Sounds like a nice place.
0: Yeah. It's the most satanic sector in all the universe.
1: Everybody's red and angry. When Hal is getting yanked off of Earth, they have this panel where, you know, he's being pulled along and he's he's just going so fast that the light just shifts and it's just like he's flying through this rainbow. And the way I took it at first is that if you listen to our one half episode, you know that there <laughs> is this emotional spectrum of different colored energies now that correspond to different colored lantern core and it all has this root in emotion and that we've seen that earth is one of the more densely populated planets out there which would technically i guess could make earth kind of a uh an armory for emotional power so i don't know if i was reading too much into it or if this was like them trying to foreshadow that idea
0: yeah originally i just thought it was basically him going into almost like a doppler shift the war, but that doesn't necessarily rule out the whole emotional spectrum aspect of it as well that's something to look at in the future another interesting thing is we learn that the reason sinestro heads to earth in the future issues is because he's contacted by the guardian who actually comes up with a name ganthet now so far no other guardians have taken a name it's only ganthet that took a name so i'm basically wondering what does ganthet get out of having Sinestro go to Earth. Any thoughts on that?
1: The very fact that he's taken a name suggests that he might be ready for the Guardians to start changing the way they operate, even a little bit at a time. Because here he is, he's taking his own name. He's encouraging two Green Lanterns to work together, which at this point in the history almost never happened. Right. So Anna, maybe this is him trying to take a few baby steps in what he feels to be the right direction.
0: Yeah, I think everything that we've seen of Ganthet so far shows that he basically wants what's best for the universe, more th- more so than any of the other characters.
1: And the big thing with him is he recognizes that sometimes you have to change in order to achieve that, which is an ideal that the Guardians really don't like.
0: They're jerks.
1: I hate them. <laughs> let's, let's not have them on our show.
0: Guardians of the Galaxy... No, not Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Universe, you're on notice. <laughs> that's right, I'm putting them on notice.
1: They can blink and kill us.
0: <laughs> Except for Ganthit and what's his girlfriend, Said?
1: Said, I think. Sayed? S-A-Y-D. Uh, I, I've been saying "sade." Uh, that works. Right? Yeah, that's something that all of our listeners will become painfully aware of as we go.
0: We have no idea how to pronounce any of this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, my excuse. <laughs> apparently it's a common thing for people when they read to give, like, a voice to what they're reading in their heads. <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> I like, for me, reading the text in comics is more or less the exact same visual recognition as taking in the art. Or, like, my brain recognizes the names, but I've, especially the alien characters, I've never had occasion to really pronounce them before. So we're gonna have some interesting little uh, falls. Yeah.
0: Yeah, my, my problem is, when I see a name that has, like, a whole bunch of weird mixed-up letters, like, I'll be reading it at, like, breakneck speeds, and... If it doesn't make any sense, then, like, my brain will just kind of, like, rebuild it however it sees fit. So, like, the name could be, like, Kilowog, and it's, like, my brain's like, that doesn't make any sense. So, from now on, it's, you know, killwag or something like that. That's a bad example, but... Yeah, that's, that's, actually,
1: <laughs> that's, like, the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, but if you said killwag in a Green Lantern convention, they would probably laugh you out of there.
1: Yeah, no, I always used to think of, like, Anthet's name as Gaffnet. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, because cause I didn't pay attention to how it was spelled. I just felt like... You You ever do that where your mind just kind of fills stuff in? You see, like, the first few letters and the last few letters, and it just kind of does whatever it wants in between? Yes. Yeah, that's why I did for, like, I don't know, ten years? <laughs> I don't know. Let's go to part four.
0: <laughs> part four it is.
1: Hector Hammond, he gets his mental powers from unprotected exposure to the fuel of Appenster's ship. Because he, he and the military confiscated it back to a kind of a Area 51-ish bunker. And he just kind of starts to indiscriminately kill people with his mind. <laughs> he <can't
0: protect laughs> well, he was a jerk and nobody liked him, so that's yeah. good enough.
1: Yeah, if he could control it, he would probably still be killing people indiscriminately. (laughs) Carol is desperate for pilots because absolutely everyone but Hal quit Ferris Aircraft because basically because they refused to work for a woman and kept Hal on because nobody else would be insane enough to let him even touch an airplane after he's crashed so many of them. We get to see what would be the Red Lantern Oath for the first time during this ritual that Atrocitus performs, to find an individual who, according to prophecy, would spawn this incredible dark power. And the name that comes up is William Han, a character who will go on to be another of Hal's classic. Enemies black hand. Sinestro comes to Earth and confronts Hal. They have it out, and Sinestro goes off just before Hector Hammond arrives and learns Hal's secret. There we are. Wow, look at all that orange. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, do you see it? Do you see the orange? Yeah, I
1: see I see the orange now. I see it now. Cause you know what? Originally I was set to think that, okay. All of these new colored lanterns are going to be new characters. I wasn't expecting, like, classic Hal Jordan villains to fill a spot in every core.
0: But, yeah, so you got Hector Hammond. He's just totally, like, you know, in, covered in orange energy and everything like that. His eyes go orange. Um, does he start thinking in orange at that point yet?
1: Um, When he when he lets out that burst that kills the whole group, that's Mark. Right. But nothing oh. else is yet.
0: Okay. So, yeah, that's not until, like, the next issue.
1: Oh, before we hit anything else, my favorite bit of foreshadowing in this entire story is in this issue. Right. On page 7, middle row, all the way to the right, you've got Carol Ferris in her office, formerly her dad's office. She's, uh... You know, business is going crappy, everything's in moving boxes, she looks down into a moving box, she sees a framed picture of her father, and because of the angle and the fact that it's a moving box, there is an arrow pointing right at her father's portrait that says FRAGILE, and anyone who knows the history of this character knows that he is in, I don't think they ever really define what's wrong with him, but he is in really bad shape medically, as we'll see towards the end of this this story. And as soon as I saw that, I was floored. I loved it. And it was so subtle.
0: Yeah, I, d- I didn't catch that at all. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, at the end of uh, this issue, to basically just blow away your idea, um, moving right on. Yeah, at the very end of the issue of issue four, he's now thinking in orange thought bubbles. And then what's also very interesting is that as he's reading the thoughts of different people, they're almost being recreated in orange. I'm imagining that's only so that you can see what he. Yeah. But it looks a lot like an orange construct.
1: It does. I really didn't read it as though other people could actually see it, though.
0: Yeah, no, me neither. But it's just, it's interesting. It's like, well, this is what it would look like if he had the power to build orange constructs.
1: And by the end of the issue, he is thinking an orange.
0: Yeah.
1: Orange-ish. It's very, very watered down orange. Looks almost pink, but...
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to, uh...
1: He's gonna be a Violet Lantern. Shut up. See, <laughs> see, hes he spends this whole story whining about not having a girlfriend. He's gonna be powered by love.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, somehow, I doubt it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this is something that you touched on in the conversation that we had, but you have Sinestro, and his sector is the most orderly sector in the universe. Now, one could say that perhaps that's because he's such a good Green Lantern, and he's always battling chaos wherever it should rise up, but to really have the most orderly sector, that might imply that he is ruling with an iron fist. It happens. Well, if we can like skip ahead for a second, issue seven has the prophecy that Korrigar, which is Sinestro's home planet, is going to be overrun with chaos because Sinestro's gonna be off fighting in other sectors.
1: Okay, you wanna laugh at me for pronunciations? Yes. I used to think that you said Sinestro's homeworld as like Kruger. <laughs>
0: On the home planet of Freddy (laughs) Krueger. Freddy Korrigar.
1: It's a nice little implication bookend the story that this started because these guys told Abansur a prophecy that led him down a path to his own destruction, and now they've told Sinestro a prophecy that's leading to him being exiled from the Green Lantern Corps.
0: The other cool foreshadowing is that they mention how... Fear leads to cracks in willpower, and anger leads to distortion and unfocused energy.
1: I love these little funny scenes that I don't know if they're supposed to be funny, but they were funny to me. (laughs) Okay. Where, um, alright, Sinestro shows up, sees Hal just messing around flying a plane instead of doing his Green Lanternly duty, and he blows up Hal's plane, and he says, like, what the hell is Kilowog teaching you guys now? And Hal just says, he's teaching me my duty is to find any aliens causing trouble and kick them off the planet and he immediately just shoots a missile at Sinestro's face.
0: And Sinestro's like, yeah, right. It's like a two squat to make. That was pretty funny. Okay, issue five. We have the very first introduction to William Hand, who was mentioned in the last issue. He's at his family's mortuary, and he's kind of like checking out dead people when his mom walks in and interrupts him. Then we hop right over to Hector Hammond, who's all in his orange glow, and he reads Hal's mind and then gives like a super quick rundown of Hal's origin, I guess to bring people up to speed. Then we have Sinestro pop in who saves Hal by taking away Hector Hammond's heir, making him pass out. It's a good way to take out a telepath, I guess. We jump over to Atrocitus, who is constructing a device that can store cosmic energy. Then we jump over to Hal Jordan and Sinestro, where Hal's ring is playing back a message for Sinestro from Abin Sir. The message basically details the Manhunter's massacre of Sector 666, and everybody in the sector is killed, except for five inversions who are now seeking to get revenge on the Guardians, one of which is Atrocitus. And we close out the book with William Hand gets attacked by Atrocitus, but is saved by Hal and Sinestro, who lock up Atrocitus until he uses his special device to drain their rings, leaving them powerless.
1: Now, something I didn't think about until this time through, are we supposed to think that Carol might know already that Hal is Green Lantern?
0: Actually, I think that she probably had some clue since he basically, like, shoved her out of the way with his green energy as the plane was coming down.
1: But also think, like, there would be some deniability, though, because then all of a sudden she looks up and she sees Sinestro, but she can't make out. Features or right, clean, pink skin because the sun is right behind them.
0: Exactly, yeah, that's that was a big point that I had written down here.
1: Because at this point, barely anybody on Earth knows there's even a Green Lantern running around, let alone more than
0: one. So now she has this Green Lantern right in front of her face, and Hal Jordan like right next to her. So right there, as long as they don't find out that there are more than one Green Lanterns, she's gonna go on believing that. Hal Jordan is not Green Lantern. That was a nice touch.
1: Very subtle, too. It's not like there was dialogue box saying, whoa, but I guess Hal can't be Green Lantern because Green Lantern was up there and Hal was over there, so that must have been done by the guy up there.
0: One thing that I picked up on this reading, because now I've ended up reading the whole series like two and a half times or so, Hector Hammond, who's, you know, all got his orange energy going on, his thoughts are making Hal's willpower slip away. I was wondering if maybe that's going to be some kind of foreshadowing as to what the Orange Lantern's effects will be on a Green Lantern.
1: Maybe the power of greed can siphon off from others.
0: Or siphon off their willpower. I
1: like how um, when Sinestro puts that bubble around Hector Hammond's head, right? the first thing he does to try and pop the bubble is to telekinetically grab whatever sharp metal shards he can find and send them flying at his own face as fast as he possibly can.
0: I didn't even see that.
1: Like, what are you going to do if it actually works?
0: (laughs) I guess stop it right before it.
1: I went back and I looked up the original origins of Black Hand and Hector Hammond, and I didn't know how much Jeff Johns changed for this. And Hector Hammond's origin was literally, he was just walking around in the woods and came across a meteorite, and it irradiated him, and he got mental powers.
0: Yeah, somehow I kind of like this new version better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, hey, there's an asteroid that's just kind of in the forest where this scientist is just kind of walking randomly. And Black Hand, like, his whole deal, you don't really see it that much in this story, but his whole deal is like, he's a guy who has this device that can siphon off energy particularly Green Lantern Energy, and redirect it as a weapon. And in the original version, he was just a really smart guy who just up and invented this thing. Whereas I think they add a little bit more realism to it. It's the handheld thing that Atrocitus makes that he's using in this issue. As we'll see in the next issue or two, Atrocitus drops in, William Hand steals it, and that's how he gets it, which I think makes more sense than, hey, I think I'm just going to build this thing. Okay, I built it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> gotta agree with you on that one. Oh, and while we're on the topic of the black hand the black hand logo that he uses on his costume is basically the same logo that they have at the mortuary
1: something i actually don't know is if black hands identity is public because i would think that if it wasn't his family or someone who's done business with his family might notice the logo as he's running around as a super villain later
0: well The only thing that I have to say about that is if you just happen to come across the black hand supervillain, chances are you're going to die soon because he's going to suck out your life energy to recreate his hand. Yeah, there's that. So I don't think he has to worry too much. And not to mention, I mean, like, he was kind of the black sheep of his family. So would it really matter if anybody knew what his identity was?
1: There might even be part of him that gets some kind of joy out of taking a dig at the family name by associating their own logo with violence he received.
0: Yeah, the only other thing that I wanted to mention for this issue was how when the young William Hand is looking at the dead body in the casket, he gets up really close to it, and there's kind of like an e- glow coming off of it on him. Did you notice that? Closer to the back like just before Atrocitus busted on him.
1: Oh yeah. Oh wow yeah.
0: Definitely. I don't know if that's you know a foreshadowing of his powers in the future or if he actually gets some sort of power or something from dead people right now already.
1: I think it's a foreshadowing. I think it's just showing he has an actual connection to death.
0: Right. I have a lot of questions about the Black Hand and his powers and I really hope that they go more into that.
1: They'll have to because the uh, Blackest Night, the story they've been building to for so long is going to happen. I can't imagine they can afford to go very much longer without building into Black Hand some more. Yeah,
0: because I mean, they could just say, okay, what you know is what you know, and we're just going to run with it now. And you just have to accept that he has this connection with death. I really wouldn't like if they do that.
1: I have to do more to reintroduce a character, as I would assume that there will be people who want to read Blackest Night who might not have read Green Lantern up to that point, because of all the the talk there is about it. Yeah, well,
0: I mean, he actually only popped up in, like, what, one or two issues in the very beginning of the series?
1: And then not again until... DC Zero? Yeah, and then again in this story. Right. Okay.
0: Then... Next up, we have issue six.
1: Okay, part six. The ring got depleted at the end of last issue. Here, they find Sinestro's battery and recharge their rings. Howl momentarily overcomes the yellow weakness, allowing Sinestro to beat Atrocitus. <laughs> After the fight, Hal confronts Carol and her father, Carl, who's in real bad medical shape, as we said before, and he starts to see his own problems from the other side of the table. Uh, Hal and Sinestro have a moment of truce, and then are immediately called back to Oa, like two kids being sent to the principal's office. I have to say, the cliffhanger from the last issue was that here's Sinestro and Hal Jordan. They have been stripped of their powers, They have to play Atrocitus. I thought to myself, all right, this is going to be this huge character-building milestone for these two because they're going to have to rely on each other. They're going to have to see exactly what each other is made of without the ring. They won't be working through the filter of being Green Lanterns. And then within three pages...
0: They're recharged.
1: Yeah, they have their powers back like it didn't even happen. It's like, that is the one thing in this story that I hate because it was just blatantly done for the sake of the hang.
0: Well, I think what they're playing off of is you're looking at it from the point of view like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Now they're going to have to fight without their powers. Whereas I think the average person would look at it and say, oh, they have to fight this guy without their powers. What's going to happen? Not really jumping to the idea that, oh, well, they'll obviously have to beat him without their powers. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I get it. Uh, It reminds me of, like, if you ever watch an old movie serial, the kind they used to show before the feature back in, like... Yes, I know. Yeah,
0: yeah. I know what you're getting at.
1: Yeah, they they would have a cliffhanger. Oh my god, the hero is backed up against a cave wall, and there's lava coming down at him what will, what will he do there's no way out the very next episode it starts with that setup and it's like he just quickly turns to his left and runs up the staircase that wasn't there last time yes
0: yeah yeah no i know what you're saying but for the sake of for the sake of the story i can understand why they had to power up again really fast they would have gotten their asses kicked
1: and i did like them bringing in the well bringing back the concept of the little uh, open up the door to a pocket dimension to grab your battery which they did a lot in the Kyle Rayner series towards the end, but we haven't really seen since.
0: Before you explained it to me, I never actually understood how that whole thing worked. I just kind of accepted that they had this magical door to a super universe.
1: The way I look at it, I think this is why... Stop me if this isn't why I told you because I don't remember.
0: It probably is.
1: <laughs> Was um, that there is a, like a little pocket dimension that because it's separate from the dimension we occupy, you can open up a door to it from wherever in the universe you are, and the door will always go to the exact same place. So it doesn't matter physically where you are.
0: That's, yeah, that's basically how you explained it.
1: I like your idea that there's probably just this, like, big white space with a (laughs) pile of Green Lantern batteries in it.
0: Yeah, just, like, totally unorganized. When you reach in, it's like you're just kind of feeling around, and you grab the closest one to you.
1: Write my name on my battery just so nobody else takes it.
0: (laughs) Well, that's probably why Kyle shaped his differently so that you'd feel it and be like, "Oh, I don't want that piece of garbage."
1: Oh, oh, what did um, what did Guy have on here? He had like, what college did Guy Gardner go to? Because I think he had a sticker from that college on his batter.
0: Um, oh man.
1: Whose mascot is the Wolverines? That's I think that's. <sighs>
0: It wasn't Wisconsin, was it?
1: Maybe? I don't know. I don't know Sport. It came up in Green Lantern 25.
0: Didn't it also, didn't they also reference that in, uh, was it Booster Gold? Yes. The Booster Gold issue, like, two, where they had Sinestro in there.
1: Yeah, and he met with Guy back before he was Green Lantern, I think.
0: Right. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll touch on that in a future episode, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so you have an interesting little show of symbolism here, how the very first panel, you have the tombstones of Martin Jordan and Jessica Jordan, which is Hal's parents, and you have William Hand cowering behind the Jessica Jordan tombstone. And then, just a couple of pages later, you have Hal Jordan, he's up against his father's tombstone and they show him in front of the tombstones and it's almost as if seeing his father's tombstone is what gives him the power to create a jet which is the same jet that his father flew crashing directly into a yellow crane and overcoming his fear
1: yeah it's literally him taking his weakness and turning it into strength
0: i didn't actually realize that it was his father's jet like i i guess i just kind of assumed but yeah That's really cool.
1: Now I'm wondering, because something Hal's done a lot throughout the current series is he'll throw a full-size jet at a bad guy. Now I'm wondering if it's the same jet every time.
0: You know what, actually, it doesn't even have to be. It could just be, like, any jet, because they can just say, oh, well, you know, Martin Jordan flew that jet, he flew that jet. So all these jets that his father flew, any single one would recreate the overcoming the fear for Hal.
1: Yeah, and... And when you think about it more, every single time he creates a jet, what's he do? He crashes it. Oh, right. He's slamming it into the bad guy. He's taking, like, the literal event and trying kind of <laughs> to it into something not devastating. Oh, that's really cool. Two pages earlier, uh, William Hand trips and falls into a grave. The coffin bursts open, and the body inside is, like, hugging him just because of how he landed.
0: That's a nice catch. Almost as if, like, death has him in its clutches.
1: Yeah, it's like death knows what's coming. It wants There is
0: a lot of foreshadowing in this.
1: And that's why I love how they don't beat you over the head with it at all.
0: Yeah, it's like if you don't know what to look for... You are not going to see this.
1: And that's not to say it's a bad thing either. I mean, it makes it for a new fan or an old one.
0: It's super rewarding to just keep on rereading. This is one where it has a lot of symbolism, it has a lot of subtext, but the main story that is still interesting in its own right.
1: This makes a really good entry point for someone if they are a new reader.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. No, well, that's, that's why this is our first episode-ish. Ish.
1: <laughs> There's only two reasons to do this story now. And as, you know, one to add in some additional foreshadowing to the upcoming Blackest Night story and the other is to give someone who might want to jump onto the series for it an easy entry point.
0: Something else I just noticed above uh, Carl Ferris in his bed there's a photo on the wall and it's it, it's not as defined but it's basically the same photo that was in uh, Arden's office. Now it's cool that they all have that same photo.
1: We get this scene that I really love where Hal's just he's standing on that cliff, and he just makes the image of the father, and he just looks at smiling until it fades away. He
0: makes the image, and it's got his father, and the father's unhappy, and then in the bottom panel, then he's smiling.
1: Which, and since this all comes from Hal's head, this is like a visual representation of him kind of coming to terms with things. He spent this whole story running around angry at everybody he could find for his father's death or for interrupting him in his quest to be like his father, and now he's kind of realizing okay, I don't have to do this anymore.
0: Now, the final issue, part 7 of the Secret Origin storyline... We see Hal and Sinestro as they're teleported to Oa to go before the Guardians because of the fact that they broke the Territorial Edict. Hal questions the Guardians on the Territorial Edict and why Oa is all yellow. He accuses the Guardians of being afraid that the the Green Lanterns are all going to rise up like the Manhunters did. The Guardians basically jump down Hal's throat. And Sinestro kind of has his back saying that they should be able to team up, that the territorial edict should be done away with so that they don't have any more future massacres like what happened in Sector 666. Later on... Hal is trying to overcome the yellow weakness again because he says that he did it once before but nobody believes him and he can't seem to overcome the weakness again. Hal is off the hook by the Guardians, but now all of a sudden he's Sinestro's responsibility and Hal is going to have to go to Korrigar in a month from this story to meet up with Sinestro for more training and whatnot. Hal goes back to Earth and sees that Pyface has restored his Dad's old plane.
1: Uh, just to jump in. Not the oh. one that his father crashed in. One that um, his dad used to take out flying in as a kid. Right. Good point.
0: We see Hector Hammond is locked away in Bunker 44 and we see that his head is mutating bigger and bigger. We shoot over to William Hand who is using Atrocitus' device to kill a guard and he realizes that he's not really all that torn up with the killing and that being dead is good and then we go over to Sinestro who plops Atrocitus down on Yasmalt, and they kind of start foretelling of a chaos that's going to break out on Korrigar which is Sinestro's home planet and then we close with Hal showing his brother Jim that he actually is Green Lantern and in case you didn't know, actually we never went over who his brothers were, but Jim was his younger brother who was actually pretty cool Jack was his older brother which was kind of a dick
1: and this entire story has been narrated through Hal's light log, which at the end we find out he was writing for his brother to explain everything he's been doing and going through and try and and make his brother see his side of things so that he finds out like he's not just this guy who's been walking out on his own family.
0: Yeah, we never really touched on Hal's family life with his mother or anything like that.
1: We mentioned how like she wouldn't see him unless he quit the airport.
0: Yeah, she totally frowned on the whole Hal following in the father's footsteps.
1: What was his older brother's name? Jack. He apparently had
0: to give up a lot in his own life to help out mom. Yeah, but oh, sorry to interrupt. But it doesn't really make sense though, because yeah, he says that when the father died, Jack had to go and get a job to help his mother pay the bills. Okay, that I understand. I could ca- I could see how somebody would be a little bitter about that. But what I don't get is that when Hal runs away to join the air force, Jack says that he had to move back home to take care of mom. Now, I mean, like, why would he have to do that? I mean, is the mother so sickly and useless that she basically has to leech off of the eldest son?
1: Did they ever say what she was in the hospital for, or was it just that she was sick?
0: I think she had like a weak heart or something like that. I'm not entirely sure.
1: But they could. It's probably just a case of like she has this medical condition that eventually winds up killing her. So as she got older, he had to come home and take care of her because Hal wasn't around. Too. Yeah,
0: but I mean, that's it's unrealistic to expect an 18-year-old to take care of his mom 24-7. And I think it's unrealistic to expect Jack to, you know, have to give up his entire life to take care of her as well. I think if anything, that the mother was incredibly selfish to not just live her life and let her kids live their life. She just, you know, she became so weak, she let fear dictate, you know, everything that happened in her life, which I guess is a good antithesis for Hal.
1: She never got over the trauma of losing her husband, and she associates Hal flying planes with the idea that, all right, this is going to happen to us again. Right.
0: But she's consumed by fear, as opposed to Hal, who can overcome it no matter what.
1: And then, in, in a lot of cases, he wants to overcome it in spite of it. You know, Maybe that's why, I mean, yeah, he, he flies because he loves to fly and because it's what his dad did and all that, but he's probably also trying to just take the bite out of the loss.
0: Um, going back to part seven, do you think there was any actual point to restoring the old plane for Hal?
1: I would say probably not, because, like, honestly, the first time I read this issue, I I had no idea what they were talking about, because I did not remember seeing this plane before. Right, and, and it wasn't until I went back through and looked that I realized, oh hey, there it is. This lacked any real emotional resonance for me. Right, it was really just done as a throwaway, almost background piece in a random panel of an earlier issue. That if you read this monthly, you read that like five months ago.
0: Well, no, not entirely, because like they brought the the wreckage over to you know Ferris Aircraft like an issue or two before. But still, I mean, even aside from that, I don't really see the point to. Rest- storing the plane. I mean, yeah, it's a nice gesture, but uh, maybe that's the point. Maybe she's trying to atone for her father by doing something nice, you know, and...
1: It's a peace offering.
0: I guess. But still, I mean, you know, give him a raise. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Promise you'll wait at least a week before you fire him again.
0: Yeah, really. Go out with him on a date. I don't know, something. I don't think he really needs the plane.
1: Now, you had said something about the art in this.
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, on further readings, it's it's not bad art. It's definitely not bad art. The thing that I picked up on, though, is that it looks a little less refined, I guess. No, not even refined. Less detailed.
1: Panels are emptier.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, no, something that you picked up on is that in a lot of the panels, you have just a shot of, like, Hal's head and then, like, empty space in the background.
1: Yeah, and that's when it's a, it's a wide shot that covers the entire width of the page. Right. It's just some random background color.
0: Yeah, and that happens a lot. It happens, like, over and over again, really. You have four or five shots of Hal like that, uh, one of... Sinestro, or no, two of Sinestro, yeah, as you just flip through the page, you just see more and more. It's like they didn't bother to do any backgrounds.
1: And there is, like, not to say there isn't any backgrounds, but it's, like, a lot more, it's a lot more basic. Like, if they're outside, they'll show some buildings, and they'll show, like, some mountains in the distance, if it's in the desert. It's a lot more of just... A character and either a surface or a color
0: like at the very end where you have sinestro on you small basically there is no background at all it's just colors and like streaks of light that don't really make any sense so
1: but that i could chalk up for the fact that this is a book that's late not i won't say chronically late but it gets pushed back by a few weeks at a time, often. Right. So it could just have been a schedule issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really take away from the story, but it is noticeable in comparison when you look at it.
1: Yeah, and the first time I read it, I didn't really pick up on it because it had been a month between, and I was focused more on the story than anything else. But when you do sit down and read them as a chunk, then you'll definitely see it.
0: <sighs> I mean, that's not really to take away from Ivan Reyes.
1: Oh, no, definitely not.
0: I mean, his art is always amazing. It's just that, comparatively speaking, if you were to look at this issue and hold it up next to—I don't—I don't even know what you could compare it to. Oh, what's a good thing for comparison?
1: Like, to make it look good or to make it look bad?
0: To make it look a lot better. Um. um what's worse out there?
1: A gardener collateral damage. Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you hold this up against Guy, Ga- Guy Gardner collateral damage, which we're kind of in, in agreement is one of Howard Chaikin's... Not his best. No, no, not at all. Then, yeah, it looks light years better. Light is better than that. But by an Ivan Reyes standard, it's probably a little lower than it could have been.
1: Although, I do hear that he's working ahead. You know, like, he's in the issues following this story. Someone else is penciling, so he can kind of get work done in advance, so we probably won't have this problem for a while again.
0: Well, that would be cool. Oh, and uh, a nice little piece of... I guess foreshadowing, although it's already happened in the sequence of events, uh, the last panel of Yesmalt, you have Atrocitus, and his eyes are reflecting the symbol for the red lanterns.
1: Who would have thought the big red guy would be a red lantern?
0: <laughs> now... Yeah, one other thing that I would like to touch on with that is they talk about in issue... They talk about in issue 5 when Abensur's ring is doing the playback for Sinestro. It basically says that the five inversions, which are the survivors of Sector 666, that whole massacre, they became like a splinter cell that was bent on the destruction of the Guardians. And so they were going to seek out the power of the Black Because not even the Guardian's light could pierce it. And they would be destroyed through that. Now we know that Atrocitus becomes a red lantern so my question is if he becomes a red lantern then that kind of deviates from the original goal of searching for the black
1: the way i took it was that he just kind of fell into the red by accident they have a certain degree of precognition but they don't see everything all the time so he, he was out looking for the black power but along the way, all of the roadblocks and the captivity made his rage just grow and grow and grow to the point that even though it's not what he was looking for, he manifested the red power anyway. Right. So I don't know if that means that he's going to stop looking for the black, or if he's going to try and up his arsenal by continuing to try and find it, so like he wants to wield both the black and red. I don't know. Yes. So yeah, Green Lantern Secret Origin. Fun for new fan and old.
0: I think that about wraps everything up. Um, was there any last words that you wanted to mention?
1: Nah, this is long enough already.
0: Yeah, really. Yeah, it's a very good retelling. I know we we didn't really touch on it in this episode, but we both read... Green Lantern, Emerald Dawn, which was the original retelling of the Green Lantern story. Now, which one would you say you prefer?
1: Without going into detail, I would go with this one. It gives you a really good balance of superhero stuff, cosmic stuff, and the down-to-earth stuff that will make you actually care about Hal Jordan's character.
0: Yeah, I'm in agreement on that one.
1: There's a lot less of moving the character from A to B to C. And it's more about the relationships he has with those around him.
0: But we'll get into Emerald Dawn in another future episode.
1: Hey, where can they find this?
0: They can find this podcast at www.lanterncast.com.
1: You can contact us at lanterncast at gmail.com.
0: I like how when I give the web address or the introduction, I use this like big, deep radio voice, and you're just like, Yep, I'm Dan. <laughs> I'm Dan. Here it is. Enjoy.
1: You make, make this happen.
0: Make, quit the typing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everybody should go to the comicforums.com anyway, just cause it's cool.
0: Yes. Oh yeah, you know, that's a good point. Um, I wanted to do a shout out, uh, Comic Geek Speak, awesome podcast. If there was no Comic Geek Speak, I never would have met you to actually start up the Green Lantern podcast. So, big so, thanks to them.
1: So in a way, if this all goes south, it's really their fault.
0: <laughs> well, at the length of this episode, I think we can already start blaming them.
1: Damn you, Brian Deemer! Why?
0: Peter Rios! No, it was, it was the puppet Rios.
1: Hey, I voted for him.
0: So did I. <laughs>
1: Alright, let's get the hell out of here.
0: Seriously. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all. We'll be back in a week. Bye. So long.